The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Attention, TV lovers. I am the guardian of the boob tube, and William Bruce West must answer my questions to start the podcast. Question one. Which cast members of Night Court got their own sitcoms after that show's cancellation in 1992? John Larroquette, Harry Anderson, Marshall Warfield got a talk show. Correct. Question two. Name the shows. The John Larroquette Show, Dave's World, and the Marshall Warfield Show. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Question three. Which show had its lead actor nominated for a primetime Emmy? John Larroquette. Correct. You may pass. Remember that show back when Remember that show. Turn on the TV. Time was always flying. Why did they have to end? So many shows you forgotten. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Remember That Show, the podcast where we revisit the obscure or forgotten TV shows of the 80s and 90s. I'm William Bruce West. And I'm Adam Pope. Well, I got another question. You want to play a game? Get out of here, ghost face. What are you doing? No. But I think we are in the mood for some fun and games as we kick off 2024, since tonight we're going to explore a 90s kids game show that's full of twists and turns. But before we get into that, it's time to look back on our own TV-obsessed childhoods in a segment we call Theme Song. So Adam, what kind of TV game shows were popular in your house growing up? So this is really strange, but I never saw my parents watch any game show ever. Like, I saw my mom watch soap operas, I saw my dad watching MASH, and like stuff like that, but when the game shows were on they weren't tuning in but i remember one time on a vacation my cousins telling me about the prices right and they were doing like the announcer's voice and they were imitating i was like what is this it's probably like 1988 and i was just fascinated by this concept of a tv show where people played games i'm like what because i'd only been watching cartoons and sitcoms at this point and i realized that all that stuff was happening while i was at school and so i was missing out on most of it so i checked out bob barker during the summer breaks i was always into that i did have a wheel of fortune phase in like sixth grade where i would tune in because it was on just before dinner time so that would be my lead in to dinner but i never really got devoted to a game show although when the game show network became a thing on cable in the 90s i really got interested in the old 70s game show stuff like let's make a deal because their audience would like show up in costume they could earn money by randomly pulling items out of their pockets and bags and whatever that fascinated me but But I think the one 
that was probably the biggest overall that I tuned in as much as I could, especially during the summer, was Supermarket Sweep. It had to be because of that episode of Married with Children, <laughs> where they compete. Because I also think the factor was, I remember the Nickelodeon Super Toy Run shopping spree commercials, and so it reminded me of that. These people run around filling up their carts, and so I, I was like, but it's with food! This is great! <laughs> but what about you? Were, were you a game show household? Well, yes, but first you brought up that toy run and I used to enter that contest like sure I was going to win, you know, like it wasn't like, oh, I hope I win. I wasn't even following the rules. You're supposed to use like a postcard and I've got like a three by five index card with the lines, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm winning this thing and I'm still waiting for him to call me, you know, <laughs> but like as far as growing up. We were a big game show household because I've told you my grandmother basically took care of me during the day. So it was always like televangelists or game shows, really. So, I mean, like, I guess I started with The Price is Right. I don't love that show as much as most people just because at the age I was watching, I didn't know the price of anything. It's like, I can watch it now. And even then I nitpick it because I'm like, some of this stuff is regional. Where are you shopping? Like, do you have a coupon? Do you have the app? <laughs> so it's just kind of like, I hate the prices, right? But I, I was really, especially in the summers, I loved the daytime shows. Classic Concentration. That was a big one for me. Win, lose, or draw. And then, of course, there's the big two, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. I watched Wheel probably till I was like 12. And then I was like, this is too easy. And then I shifted over to Jeopardy, where my friend Chris and I would play Jeopardy against each other over the phone every night throughout high school. I took a few breaks because I went through like an entertainment tonight phase. Because that's right, folks. You had to watch TV to get entertainment news. <laughs> and they came on at the same time. So sad to say out loud, but like that's probably the like high note of high school was Jeopardy every night over the phone with Chris. And then Family Feud. I mean, I was really big into like the Ray Combs era, God rest his soul. Like nobody ever talks about him because we get to that reboot era of like Jay Peterman and Richard Karn. And then they settled on Steve Harvey for the last like 17 years. But like, I'm a big game show guy. Not on purpose. They're just always kind of on, especially in the daytime. It's like you either watch a soap opera, you watch... Now it's like crime shows and syndicated Dateline, or you watch game shows, you know? Well, and speaking of Family Feud, we have to mention, because I know you're a big wrestling guy, I'm always checking in with wrestling, but I remember the Family Feud episode where it was guys from WCW versus the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, and that was just an awesome episode. I love when they would do the celebrity ones. Definitely. Now, I have to ask you this, though, because you're saying you're playing Jeopardy with your buddy over the phone. Is that a show you felt like you could have actually competed on and won or is there another one like you said wheel sounded easy to you like what's the show you felt like i could do this definitely jeopardy i mean to this day i say jeopardy i have you don't really fail but i have not passed the jeopardy test about 11 times at this point it used to be like an annual event they let you know that like oh it's time to take the test and blah 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 but then when alex passed away now you can do it anytime and i don't know something about that is not as special to me like it's like a college with rolling admissions there are no great schools with rolling admissions <laughs> like there's a time to apply and there's a time they let you in and that's how it should be so definitely jeopardy i never saw supermarket sweep when it was on you know like i actually saw it for the first time probably in the last like two years i think it was during covid and i feel like i could do it 
you know, just because like I felt like I could have done that toy run too. But knowing me, I would have been distracted the whole time because I'm watching this and I'm like, where do I know that host from? And I was like, it's Philip. He married Janet in the series finale of Three's Company. <laughs> so the whole time I would have been like, so what was Joyce DeWitt like? So did you get to hang out with John Ritter? Like, what was what was Terry like? You know, <laughs> like, so, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I would love to see you compete. Hey, maybe the 12th time's the charm. Let's see. Maybe. maybe Let's see. Now, I have to say, I will admit, I actually did compete on a TV game show. So, yeah, our high school dance teacher's brother was a television producer, and he had this new lip sync game show for kids. And so she recruited students from our drama department for the pilot. So I auditioned in front of this video camera, I'm lip syncing this really deep cut kiss song, and I got cast. And at the time, it was called The Big Stage. You know, that was their pilot. And we shot it at the KTLA 5 studios in Los Angeles. I got paid to perform as part of a group, Zoot Suit Riot, by the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. (laughs) The only problem was I was 15 and I was already six foot two and they grouped me with a bunch of tiny seven year olds. So I'm this giant monster with braces and zits behind these cute kids wearing their pinstripe zoot suits, you know, and we lost out to this group that was performing Getting Jiggy With It by Will Smith, you know, so... We did not win that pilot, which I we just got paid for it, which was nice. But then the show got picked up by the family channel and the name was changed to Great Pretenders. And luckily they brought me back for an actual episode and I got to perform Where It's At by Beck as a solo act. They gave me two turntables and a microphone so I could act it out <laughs> and a crazy That's wardrobe. Awesome. But anyway, that time I also lost to a group that my buddy's girlfriend was in. I couldn't stand her. So it was extra like salt in the wound because she's wearing a swimsuit and they're on surfboard singing Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. But no kids, like all the kids in the audience that were voting, none of those seven to 10 year olds cared about the Beach Boys. There's no way that was legit, you know, but I didn't care. Now, this is the real reason. This is the television reason, because the hosts of that show were a group called Wild Orchid. They were this girl group trio, and it featured Renee Sands and Stacey Ferguson, previously of Kids Incorporated. So yeah, Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas, right? In her in-between period, and she interviewed me on stage after my performance. It was like the highlight of my young life, not because I knew she was going to be actually famous. So I was just like, you Stacy from Kids Incorporated. I can't believe it. And I kept wanting to talk to him backstage. I was too shy. Just like you're saying, you would have been asking about Joyce. What's Ryan Lambert like? Do you remember the Monster Squad? Anyway, <laughs> so the craziest part was, as I closed this out, but that when the show aired, there was this tough guy at my school that's always kind of had a mad dog expression that came up to me on campus. And I thought I had done something to offend him. I thought I was in trouble because I barely knew him. But he was just like, hey, I saw you on that singing show. You got robbed. You should have won. I was like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> that's awesome. Bridging the gap, you know, and you're never going to believe this. But when you're telling that story about like your friend's girlfriend, in my mind, I was waiting to say and she would go on to become Fergie. <laughs> Not quite. And the, the final thing is that later in that season, they got a bunch of kids to do Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss. And one of the girls in my class who was on that episode, she's like, yeah, they were talking trash about Kiss. I was like, what? I was like, Mrs. Prince, I auditioned with a Kiss song. You couldn't have given me that gig? Come on. 
Right. <laughs> anyway. Well, so. did you use your actual name? You know, I've heard crazy stories like Howie and the Backstreet Boys. When they wanted to form the group, they couldn't find him because he was using a different name. <laughs> I had no such aspirations to have a stage (laughs) name at that point, so. Gotcha. (laughs) I did start signing my name. My A is a star, though, after that. There you go. (laughs) But enough about us. It's time to look back at the TV landscape that created an opening in which kids' game shows could go for the win in a big way in a segment we call Greenlight. Game shows were part of the television landscape from the beginning of the medium. In those days, programs like Name That Tune, The $64,000 Question, Tic Tac Doe were all the rage. But the contestants were adults who had enough years of learning to compete for money and prizes. The closest kids got to being on game shows were generally segments on programs like Bozo the Clown, and TV continued this way for decades, with an explosion of game shows for adults like Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, Family Feud, Let's Make a Deal, and many more filling time slots on TV stations nationwide. By the 80s, however, everything was being marketed to kids in hopes that they could get their parents to open up their wallets and spin, spin, spin. Kids' game shows were a match made in heaven for TV producers and toy companies because they could use the prizes awarded to the players as not-so-subtle commercials for their products. Luckily, a lot of the games themselves were entertaining enough to get kids tuning in for more each day. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I was looking up, like, on Wikipedia. I'm like, were there kids game shows? Like, in the 60s and the 70s, like, you would see, like, one or two. But it really wasn't anything that caught on until this time. And, of course, the biggest children's game show of the 80s was Double Dare, hosted by Mark Summers. I mean, it's weird, because it started as this little regional show, and then it gets picked up by Nickelodeon, and then it's, like, the thing that makes the network. It's the thing that, you know, really breaks it wide open for them. But that success led to so many more Nickelodeon game shows in the 90s, stuff like Guts, Wild and Crazy Kids, Legends of the Hidden Temple, right? Another fondly remembered program was Nick Arcade, which actually put the young contestants inside a video game, you know, for that competition. In fact, our show for this episode might be best described as Legends of the Hidden Temple meets Nick Arcade, though the origins are much more interesting than that, uh, as we're going to get into shortly. Let's mention a few more, though, because they weren't all on Nickelodeon. You know, there's Fun House, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, even Gladiators 2 thousand which was wild but first i gotta ask you will you're watching all these you know prime time and daytime game shows was there a kid-based game show that you were aware of and you actually enjoyed oh yeah there were a few of course there's double dare but growing up i didn't have cable so i had the syndicated version which didn't last that long but i was really into it for like its run even like fun house like i remember it i couldn't tell you like the different segments but it was like a staple for mornings for me i think the biggest one though would be carmen san diego i mean that introduced the world to acapella via rockapella which would go on to become something important in my life and then i think it was like i say that jeopardy's easy but 
Carmen San Diego was hard. One of my blind spots is geography. And that game kicked my butt, like watching it at home, you know? And just like, I wanted that challenge. I actually like applied to be on there, but I told you I don't really follow the rules. So it's like, Lord knows what I wrote that like application on, you know? But I wanted to be on Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, you know? And then there's another one I kind of remember that like just kind of pops up in my head. We mentioned Gladiators 2000 and that had Ryan Seacrest hosting it, but he also had this other game show called Click in the late 90s. That's when I was introduced to him, where it was like the early days of the World Wide Web. It was a game show based on web searches. And I would watch this and be like, that poor guy, he's way too hot for this. <laughs> like, like why, why is he doing this to himself? Because it was like a nerdy game, but he's like, he was like a bro, you know? So it was like, I will never forget Click. Even watching Idol, watching like Ryan and Kelly and all that stuff, like I go back to Click where it's like, what's in this Yahoo search? <laughs> you know? That's amazing. Not sponsored by Alta Vista. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I gotta tell you, the one that really always stood out to me was the show called I'm Telling. And I kind of pitched it as maybe one that we would discuss on this episode. But for those who don't remember, it was the show where they would have siblings would have to answer trivia about each other to score points. And of course, like when they got it wrong, the kids would blame each other. They'd be shoving each other and yelling at each other. You know, the main draw, though, of that show was not, you know, because it's kind of like the dating game with siblings. But I was always more interested in this big like stage full of prizes. There was like this ramp that you could walk up around and they would get to decide, okay, this is what I think my brother or my sister wants. And then they would walk around and if they matched up, they got that prize. And I was always like, oh, this is such a cool game. That's the game right there, you know? But what I always wanted was a robot. You know, those remote controlled robots with the little dome head. Like that was always on the stage. I'm like, oh, you should pick that one. And I do want to mention that my buddy Jerry, over on Totally Rad Christmas. That's his podcast. He recently covered I'm Telling on his show. So if you want to hear more about it, there's actually some really interesting details about just the history of that show and who participated and stuff. So go check that out. Little plug for Totally Rad Christmas. But let's get into our elevator pitch. Yeah, we want to tell you what Masters of the Maze was about. So it is a kids game show that ran on the Family Channel for two seasons, from 1994 to 1995. But quick sidebar before we even get into that. Will, did you watch the Family Channel? You said you didn't have cable, but did you even know it existed? Oh, I knew it existed because I know for a while it was like the cable home of Batman 66. Like every now and then I run across like buttons, like Batman only on the Family Channel, you know? And one thing that always stuck out to me, because I told you I watched like Entertainment Tonight a lot. I remember when Big Brother Jake came out because it was like their first sitcom on the Family Channel. And it was weird to me because he was the infomercial guy. He was the body by Jake guy. And I'm just kind of like, why are we giving, I'm like, is Susan Powder going to get a sitcom? That's a deep cut right there. (laughs) And they would show clips and it looked worse than syndication. And see, 
like this was the heyday of first run syndication so if you're not good enough for that it's like why are they investing money in this so that was that was my impression of it but it's always kind of scared me away and this is like we're hitting boundaries because at the end of the day it was always that's the 700 club network and you know like i grew up on the 700 club but i'm good with that hour that they don't need a whole channel <laughs> You know, so yeah, that kind of started like... out heavily Christian programming and then really branched out over the years. Yeah, right, right. And quick trivia: Body by Jake, Jake Steinfeld is the uncle of Haley Steinfeld that we all know from Bumblebee and Hawkeye and many other things. That's amazing. <laughs> I gotta say, I always got the Bodies by Jake guy confused for some reason with Lyle Alzado. There's... I do that too. Yeah. I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only shows I remembered really from the Family Channel, except when I was on it, I was like, hey, my show's on. <laughs> uh, the New Zorro. They had this like New Adventures of Zorro, which I believe starred Duncan Regeer, who played Dracula in the Monster Squad, which is crazy. Really? Yeah. I didn't know he played that, but like I was researching that today, and it was the gear guy and like they actually filmed in spain and like they put some money into it so yeah, there was that okay. and also maniac mansion which was not really at all based on the video game it was more like their version of the adams family but joe flaherty and eugene levy like they were the ones who were involved like joe flaherty was on camera I, eugene might have been but i know they were at least like writing it and maybe like executive producing or something but i always thought that show was just so bizarre because it was more like adams family meets erie indiana where it was just just like all these weird people living in a house together, but it wasn't necessarily an anthology show. Anyway. Eugene Levy, huh? Yeah. He's my like goal accomplishment inspiration where he spent like 10 years as just Jim's dad. <laughs> then like he blew up. <laughs> well, I always, I always knew him as Dr. Pearl from Waiting for Guffman. And I showed that to my wife for the first time last night, actually. So that was pretty great. But getting back to Masters of the Maze. So before we get into the details of the gameplay itself, I gotta tell you who invented this show. Okay, I did not know this before researching for the episode. Hal Berger, he is the designer of the Power Glove. Yes, that infamous Power Glove. It's so bad for our buddy Chad. It's an Australian game called Fenton's Maze is what Masters of the Maze started out as. It was just a concept, like I think it was more like a board game. And he adapted it into an electronic game that then was licensed by Tiger Electronics. And then he's like, we've sold you this game. Now let's create a actual live action game show show version and then it got sold to the family channel so it's just like so it's, it's interesting to see the most disappointing video game peripheral of the 80s was loosely tied to masters of the maze but as we get into it here you're going to find out it had a very heavy video game influence so it makes a lot of sense so well why don't you tell us how it's played here oh man this boring show <laughs> <laughs> whoa i mean bring it in <laughs> masters of the maze was a competition consisting of three rounds the first round had three teams of two contestants each competing in a game where a digitally scrambled image would slowly come into focus and the first team to buzz in and answer correctly had to then answer a trivia question to score a point. The two teams with the most points would go on to round two. In this segment, the teams would try to get the shortest time making their way through a multi-room maze. This was done with one of the kids suited up in an electronic armor and guided by their teammate through robotic audio cues like go left or go right that were triggered by the movement of a joystick as they watched the progress via an electronic map of the maze on a screen. 
The final part of the maze was a trivia room called the Chamber of Knowledge, where the player had to get three trivia questions correct to open the door for their exit. Round three found the team with the best time through the maze going to Prize Mountain, where they aimed a power glove-like gauntlet in the armor at TV screens with sensors that said prize. If the player activated three prize screens, they got the grand prize of $500 shopping spree at the Sharper Image. <laughs> Man, so yeah, there's there's a lot of segments, there's a lot of pieces to the show. We already heard Will's opinion of it. I can't <laughs> wait to hear more details, but maybe if it wasn't the gameplay itself, maybe it was the personalities because season 1 was hosted by perennial children's game show host JD Roth, and the contestants all wore silver jumpsuits that were reminiscent of, kind of of the runners from The Running Man. <laughs> Speaking of Family Feud, we were talking about earlier. In addition to Roth, the contestants would receive instructions from a projection of the lady of the maze who appeared from the neck up dressed in like sparkly makeup seemed like she had like a feather boa on and she was played in the first season at least by renee jacobs who is the voice of april o'neill from teenage Mutant ninja turtles now we know what she looked like you know <laughs> in season two though the set the maze itself and everything was given a major overhaul to make it look like what they called maze island and there were a lot of rock bridges more smoke the contestants wore the arm the entire time. Now, the biggest change, though, was that Mario Lopez was now the host, and the Lady of the Maze was transformed into this, like, younger red-headed woman with a high pitch, but it opened with a kid at a computer, and you go inside the computer, there's a whole bunch of CGI graphics and everything else added to the show, so they really got an upgrade. The first season must have treated him well, but I will. In your opinion, J.D. Roth versus Mario Lopez, who is the better host? No question, Mario Lopez. What? J.D. Roth, J.D. Roth had the, like, youth population in the palm of his hand, but the problem is, like, he's just whatever. Like, he came in, he did the job. Mario Lopez is, like, working for his life. Like, these kids are as boring as paint drying, and he's trying his damnedest. He's like, where'd you get that cool name? Is that a family name? And these kids are giving him nothing. Like, he is the show in season two. When the kids win, he's more excited than they are. So yeah, Lopez, like, he knew where his life was headed, and you see it here. This boy was not destined to act. He was always going to be a host presenter. Oh, the Lifetime Network might disagree. But <laughs> counterpoint here then, because to me, J.D. Roth, he's like the cool, fun camp counselor. He's short like the kids, puts them at ease. He's encouraging, never intimidating, because he doesn't feel like a TV host. He's like an older brother or like a younger uncle you like to hang out with. You know, he's just like this cool guy. He drops a lot of personal info on the show if you watch enough episodes. Like, I learned J.D. has a twin sister who is a P pediatrician, and he was best friends with Brian Austin Green for Beverly Hills 90210. That gets dropped at one point. But Mario Lopez, for me, the issue I run into, he's got cool, handsome guy energy where he's trying to be relatable to less handsome little kids, and he's failing. It's like when A.C. Slater wanted to be the sports reporter for KKTY on Save by the Val, he's doing the terrible sports announcing. He never quite seems comfortable on the mic for me. Like, the enthusiasm, like you said, is there, but J.D. Roth, he knows knows how to handle every situation and Mario sometimes 
gets flustered when he's asking those questions and the boring kids can't answer, you know? So and, uh, the other problem with Mario is because he was an established celebrity, you could tell that the kids were kind of starstruck, especially the girls when they would see him. And the audience even, whenever he would start the show, like they're screaming over him. It was like an episode of Sam and the Bell. You know, so it's just like, he's a distraction to me. So that's, that's why I'm Roth all the way. I get it. I mean, JD is giving Seth Green. You could swap him out and you get the same result. You're right that Mario is like, the jokes aren't landing, but I blame the kids. The kids suck. But we'll get to that in jeers. <laughs> like... Yeah, but before we tear this thing down, let's raise our glass and maybe our, our power crystals and say cheers. <laughs> Will, can you find something positive about this show? What what appeals to you? I give the show credit for hopping on the latest technology trends. They were dealing with some tech that wasn't common. I mean, they were kind of like pioneers in chroma key. I mean, like Star Trek The Next Generation is really what got chroma key like commonly used in TV, but like they're doing green screen. They're doing CGI. Well, the best CGI you can do in 1995, you know, looks like a Windows 95 screensaver. But like the power glove aspect, when this thing started getting developed, that dude probably thought that like there was still life in that concept, you know, is like I was misunderstood it was so bad so then like he kind of just kind of reverse engineered it and came up with the tech for this show but it does seem sort of cutting edge for the time this is sort of like a cross promotion thing again but one thing you're working on is like digitizing 90s commercials and I was watching a video the other day and it showed the interactor which I had completely forgotten about that was a backpack that you wore while playing video games so you would get the like force feedback of what happened to your character, which could be good or bad. I mean, like I'm playing Mortal Kombat and getting my butt kicked. Like, do I want to feel that? But like this suit that they use in the maze is ugly as it looks. It's an extension of that kind of technology, which seemed cool at the time. I mean, we look back and we're like, okay, maybe these were just the NFTs of the 90s. But at the time, I give them credit for hopping on some unknown unfamiliar new technology yeah they really did and even there's a gps aspect to it because you track your partner through the maze but like i love that sci-fi element of masters of the maze you know the indiana jones style of legends of the hidden temple or like the junior jock angle of guts that never appealed to me but then you think about it what kid doesn't want to put on futuristic armor shoot lasers win prizes like it all sounds like it makes sense and it's just it's visually way more interesting I feel like than most kids game shows that had very simple sets. I mean, they really went all out with set design. Like I said, even in season two, they add an ice cave, you know, it looks like you're on the planet Hoth and the whole like set itself looks like Fireball Island, like that game board brought to life. So like they really went all out in a big way. Whereas like Nick Arcade, I always felt it looked just kind of goofy. These kids staring off camera at another screen, tried to track where they are on a blue screen inside a video game. Like this, you're actually in it so i thought that was neat i did want to say
say, I thought you would enjoy Mirror Man because they have this character in the mirror part of the maze where this guy, like, basically, is like a, in the first season, it's like just like a blank face mask that's attached to this mirror. And then in the second season, it's like a fully sculpted face. But he pops out, you know, and you have to answer a trivia question, but he feels like a rejected Power Rangers villain. So I thought you would love it. <laughs> A lot of things from that era felt like rejected powers. <laughs> but yeah, they were cutting edge, tried to do the best they could. Maybe, you know, the concept couldn't support it, but all the, you know, the bells and whistles that they added at least got my attention as a kid because I was watching the show. But you, you had never seen it before, right? Never. All right. Well, that being the case, then, you know, we've told you to the best of our ability what worked about this show. But now it's time that we check out the Jeers. Boo! 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 Okay, well, do you want me to start or are you ready to dive in? <laughs> I'm ready. This show is boring and these kids are dumb. Like, in a world with Carmen Sandiego, I guess the not-as-smart kids had to get a show of their own. This show is Jeopardy for underperforming students. They actually showed a picture of a cow and asked the kids what they saw. <laughs> then there was a question where one kid answered the Boston Coffee Party. These kids are 13. These are dumb kids. They just really are, and it made me angry. And I hated that... If they got the answer close enough, and I noticed this more with Roth than with Lopez, like, they just give it to him. Like, they showed a picture of Joey Lawrence, but she used his name from Blossom, and they gave it to her. But then they showed a picture of Aurora Monroe, and the girl said Stormy, and they gave it to her. In my 30-plus years as a comic fan, Aurora Monroe has never been known as Stormy outside of maybe logan flirting with her i gotta tell you this will so in that vein jd roth did sometimes enforce it because there was a time when it was the same thing they showed brian austin green was the picture and the girl called him david austin green because he's david on the show and jd roth is like i wanted to give it to you but i couldn't he's my friend he would get mad at me so but see that was only because he had a personal stake in it yeah. you know <laughs> and so like my biggest issue though well it's not my biggest i have tons of issues with this show it's convoluted. It's way too complicated. The rounds have no real relation to each other. Like, the fact that you can identify a cow doesn't mean you're going to navigate a maze well. Not to get, like, conspiracy theory, but do you know what a psyop is? Because this feels like a military training device. It's like, great, he knows what a cow looks like. Can he be navigated through a maze with audio commands? Can he shoot a laser at a TV? You know, like, the game makes no sense and then to cap it off they're competing for a $500 shopping spree where the sharper image but not just any location the Beverly Hills sharper image what are you gonna do with that Mario asked the kid what are you gonna do with that and he said I don't know I've never been to that store yet in 1996 there was nothing for a 13 year old at the sharper image and then there's the Beverly Hills markup. Like, I hope they sold socks back then because that's not going very far. 
Yeah, th- there, there are some miscalculations, and I, I have to agree with that, because same with some of the pictures they would choose. It gets a little awkward, because this kid, the image was of Sharon Stone, and he got it right. And no kid should have to know at that time who Sharon Stone was at that point, because she's starring in the edgiest R-rated Paul Verhoeven movies. So, like, to have this kid say, oh yeah, I know that lady who infamously uncrossed her legs to the camera, you know, like, it's just like, that can't be right. You know, he's the kid on the soccer team whose parents wouldn't let their kids hang out with him because that's how they all knew each other. He'd ask, How do you know each other? School, (laughs) these kids are dead, yeah. And the ones that they coached, they were like over the top, they're like, Yeah, we just pretend that we're crazy. (laughs) It's like, dude, you gotta bring it back. I do want to say too that the maze portion of the show can get repetitive because it's the same set every time. They don't mix it up. So the appeal I feel of any game show as a viewer is feeling like you can play the game, you know, as well or better than the contestant on TV. But when you're just seeing a kid fumble through like these doors that some are locked and some are not blindly because their visor is down and their friends tell them left, right, forward, back. Because really it feels like they're Luke Skywalker, right? They're going to get zapped by his little training module thing. But like the mirror maze is confusing, but it's not satisfying for the viewer because you can see from the top down how they should get out and the hosts are always like oh it's harder than it looks guys it's harder than it looks they have to remind the viewers i can see why the show couldn't last any longer because if you have watched the show you'll have the pattern memorized and then you just run right through you know and then the sharper image thing is a good point because the other prizes that they also are promoting are kind of lame i mean they they have like off-brand stuffed animals they have generic game boy style handheld video game units tiger electronic games which coincidentally where did fenton's maze or whatever come from you know it's like it's that cross promotion thing but everybody knows tiger sucked like it's a part of our childhood we relish but tiger electronic games were the things you played guilting your parents into getting you a game boy it's like but game boy's graphics are so much better (laughs) (laughs) well and and then they also there's this x2 robot that they offered at one point which was an early prize item there that was promoted several episodes and i know from experience that was terrible because i own that it was a cassette based robot toy it didn't move it didn't do anything it just the tape played and it did like trivia for you i probably saw it on the show and then asked for it for my birthday you know it's not a real robot i just i don't understand they call it the video game of the future they're like now you're playing the video game of the future so why are they not giving away like real video games some sega at least turbo graphics 16 right (laughs) right along the lines with the video game thing for the audience watching at home they didn't for lack of a better term, the aspect of like, they're in this virtual reality maze. Like I'm just watching a kid in aluminum foil bumping the walls. To me, you don't even need the joystick. His friend could just say left, right, left, right. The technological like underpinning of the whole thing gets lost none of it comes across while you're watching is like oh they're using space age cutting edge technology to guide their friends through this like terrible maze and honestly i kind of checked out once they got to the maze i only liked the first portion because it eventually it was like the old leno thing jaywalking i just got a kick out of how dumb these kids were <laughs> like, <laughs> like once they got to the maze eh. <laughs> 
yeah, <laughs> I mean, come back. like you say, because nothing feels like it builds on each other, that it's related skills, it just ultimately falls apart. You're just dazzled by the production value is what they're going for. On that note, the production value, I don't like that at the end of every episode, they're essentially sending every kid to their death. <laughs> they're not supposed to, but that's how it looks. They say, stand still, put your arms at your side, because you're going on a magical journey. And then the kid is digitized in the only way you could do in 1995. They turn into a ball of energy and then they go into like the video board. But they never return. You just see their name and their high score. Those kids are dead. <laughs> like they needed to change that sequence. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, they have been accepted to the world of the maze forever. <laughs> they are one with the maze. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I love that that was the catchphrase at the end of every episode. Also, they're like, be sure to become a master of whatever you do. See you later. Yeah, like, <laughs> I guess that's encouragement. I don't know. But hey, we have seen the show through its many permutations. And I'm sure we have opinions of how you could actually make it more entertaining or at least more cohesive in some way. So we are going to put on our lab coats. We're going to get on down to the set as we play Show Doctors. All right, Will, how do you fix it? Ooh, I don't fix it then. I bring it back now. Well, first of all, host because that's very important and we've already mentioned him i'd go with seth green because he gives the same energy as jd roth but he has the household recognition of a mario lopez but he's not a cool handsome guy so like you could kind of be starstruck of like hey it's chris griffin but like ultimately he gets the job done and he's still a name to bring in an audience but the original show was predicated upon cutting edge on the doorstep to obsolescence technology. Power Glow failed. The interactor failed. So I would kind of do the same here. Something that could take off, but probably won't. So I would incorporate like an Oculus angle to it, or maybe even the metaverse. They keep wanting the metaverse to happen. Like we would really go into the video game. You are in the video game aspect of it, which like is a lot more common now. It can be done better now. Now, and there would be a lot more CG, but CGI is cheaper now. You know, we wouldn't build a maze because we could switch it up every week if we just have to like code it. Is it viewed through the Oculus? So this doesn't go on streaming or network TV. You join the show in progress with your own Oculus? I don't know. Because I've only used an Oculus once and I saw like an aquarium. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really know the like limitations or the possibilities of the Oculus. But but I know it looks kind of dumb and it probably won't be around in five years. So it seems like the perfect thing to build this reboot. On. I, I, I'm going to save this clip five years from now. You're going to be going to work through your Oculus. This is my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> we will literally be in the metaverse. Listening to Wizards episode 379. <laughs> as, Man, Adam won't return my emails. I wish I could tell him he was right. <laughs> Uh, well, here's my idea, because I do think they could have at least gotten a third season out of this thing, but it would have involved, like, this is something that you've mentioned in the past, is sometimes you need a sponsor. You need somebody that's getting the names. And like I said, I feel like it's got to be a video game company where 
it's a mutually beneficial situation. And so Atari, they were on their last legs by this point in the 90s. Their Jaguar, their Atari Lynx handheld console, like none of them became huge sellers. So as a result, Atari would have had a lot of unsold product in warehouses to give away on a game show, but it could also boost the profile to the younger generation because most of them, if they hear Atari, it just meant old. It's what my dad played, you know? And so I say the revamped show is going to be called Atari Maze Masters 2000. You had to have 2000 in there. You had to. Gotta have the blue hair. (laughs) (laughs) And then as a shakeup in the story, we're going to resurrect what I would say the non-existent name brand recognition of the old Atari Force comic book from the 80s. And so the contestants are now Atari Force recruits, and they're competing to be sent on their first mission through the maze planet called JD Mar 12. Yeah, an homage to JD and Mario, right? But also, you have to do that because this new version is actually going to be hosted by Brian Austin Green. He's going to try to prepare for a second career after Beverly Hills 902 2.0. But I gotta tell you this, Will. I came up with him as the host before I watched the episode with J.D. Roth saying they were friends, because he would obviously get him the gig. But I didn't know that at the time. It was meant to be. And the final thing I want to add, because now we're talking about like we're getting into the late 80s by the time we do this, the X Games had just become a thing. The maze would have to be completed on inline skates, and you would have music from pop punk bands that played throughout the week. These like up-and-coming groups like Blink-182, Sum 41, newfound glory they hadn't hit big yet but they would play a live song at the end each friday episode okay it'd be like the special legend of zelda episode on (laughs) super mario brothers super show you look forward to fridays because there'd be a cool band playing this is why the show isn't streaming anywhere because they can't clear those licenses (laughs) those music (laughs) it'd be lost to time yep but yeah, so so that's my idea. Atari Maze Masters 2000. I love it. I love everything about it until Brian Austin Green because he brings the same energy and problems as a Mario Lopez. So I see your Brian Austin Green and I trade you a Jaleel White. Ooh, oh, Jaleel, because he did. He needs he needed something other than Sonic. He needed an on-camera option. That actually would have been good. And he didn't have to be Urkel. He gets nope. to show he's cool. Yeah, I like it. Jaleel, you got the gig. <laughs> that was fun. This, this, this is quite a journey through the maze that was this show. But now it's on to a new month and a new forgotten TV show. And I got to tell you, Will, every time I bring up the title of this show to like our friends in the, the retro loving community, I get a derisive laugh followed by... Oh, I forgot about that show. So people are excited to hear about it. It's just perfect for the podcast. So this February, in honor of Valentine's Day, we're going to be covering the raunchy dating show, Studs. Is it really as sleazy as we remember? Time will tell. But there's another element that's coming into effect starting in February as well on the podcast. So talk about our little evolution here, Will. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, this is episode six right now. So in England, this is basically basically our season finale of the first (laughs) season. 
<laughs> so we figure since we've got six and change, because you know our numbering's kind of wonky, that now maybe it's time for more than one episode a month. You know, we're, we're finding a groove and everything. So we're thinking the first episode of every month will be just what you're used to. We're bringing you a show that you kind of remember and we're show doctoring and all that good stuff. But we've got some ideas for the second show. And kicking that off, we are going to look at some failed pilots. As you may know, a pilot is commissioned by a network from a studio to see if a series will be picked up for the following season. And a lot of them aren't picked up. But thanks to the internet, they're floating around out there. So we're going to look at a few of these pilots, give them the same treatment, see what the culture was like at the time, why they would take a risk on something like that, why it maybe didn't work, and how we would have fixed it in order to get it picked up by a network. So really looking forward to it because I found some interesting stuff online. I know Adam seems to be really excited about it too. He's got like a book and everything. <laughs> so we've got some ideas, but I'm just really excited to be able to do this more than once a month because this is like the highlight of my month these days. Yeah, I'm always looking forward to these conversations. And so the first one that Will has helped us select, if you want to get a jump on it, you can find it on YouTube. We'll be sure to share it on our social medias as well. Uh, but She's With Me from 1986. Watch for the link or go search it for yourself and get ready for that conversation. But for now, we're changing the channel. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.